0: E.M. Board Bombs. Welcome back to another E.M. Board Bombs podcast where we help you study for boards, but in reality, we help you study for hashtag E.M. life. One rapid podcast at a time. I'm Blake Briggs. Sadly, not joined today by Dr. Hussein. More on that in a second. For each 15 to 20-minute episode, we give you high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, but stay for the content. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at EMBoardBombs. Our podcast is available everywhere, really. Uh, If you're listening to it, you obviously found it. But it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and whatever Android thing people use. Awesome. So, Dr. Hussein, unfortunately, will not be here today. He is busy flying out to Nevada to be at Area 51. So he's currently following the trending on Twitter regarding Area 51 and UFOs. So he's planning to livestream on TikTok when he scopes out the territory around Area 51. In case you didn't know, there's a lot of buzz right now about UFOs and the Air Force shooting down objects Good stuff, right? Welcome to <laughs> welcome to 2023. So anyway, seems like every few years or so, Area 51 comes up in the news again, and uh, Iltfat will be there uh, filming live. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, hopefully, by me producing this on a podcast ahead of time, the government isn't aware. Of, they probably already know he's on a flight out there, right? So <laughs> anyway, let's get into this topic today. You're working an overnight shift when a mother brings in her five-year-old with bright red blood per rectum. The mother states that the child has a diarrhea that turned bloody a few days ago, and she recently had a telehealth visit about this with her pediatrician. She says they didn't give her antibiotics and steroids, which she is immensely disappointed about. She also mentions how she refuses to use Zoom anymore in the future because she believes Zoom actually is the architect of the COVID-19 pandemic. Apparently, Zoom wanted to make more money as a webinar and online meeting host, so they started the pandemic at a secret research lab. You pretend to be occupied with troubleshooting the otoscope when she says all this. Regardless, today the child has become more lethargic with less appetite. On exam, the child is pale and not acting age-appropriately, responsive to you. Vitals are normal. The blood work shows a hemoglobin of 9 and a platelet count of 90,000. What is the best next step? Choice A: IV fluid bolus. Choice B: Blood cultures and ceftriaxone. Choice C: Lumbar puncture. Choice D, platelet transfusion. Correct answer here is going to be choice A, IV fluid bolus. So we're talking about HUS, hemolytic uremic syndrome. It's what's for dinner. <laughs> first thing I thought of when I thought about a title for this podcast was that phrase. If you're not American, uh, maybe maybe this was international. There was this famous commercial that went around. Uh, it was called Beef. It's what's for dinner. There's a website for this too. Started in like the 80s or 90s, famous commercials. According to the reception of this ad, the ad apparently is recognized by more than 88% of Americans. It was that recognizable. <laughs> went on TV primetime, it aired during the Olympics. Anyway, it's interesting if you want to take a deep dive into it, but I took a medium dive. (laughs) Anyway, so before we get into HUS and talk about the important things you need to know about this for both kids and adults, mostly kids, high yield condition here, right? We need to talk about EM Rapid Bombs. Hey, less than two weeks until the ITE, the in-training service exam, if you're a resident. But if you're not a resident, you still need to study anyway. You need to be a better clinician and you need to take better care of your patients. So how do you do that? Well, you do two in one. We have a premium podcast called EM Rapid Bombs that doesn't tell you what you just need to know for the boards. We tell you much more than that. It's not just a traditional question bank. We're the only interactive podcast question bank where we optimize your time and you can listen to our board pearls that will help you with the test, but more importantly, with clinical practice. And you can sign up for EM Rapid Bombs at emrapidbombs.supercast.com. You can look at the show notes of this podcast as well and find the link at EM Board Bombs. We have over 320 episodes and counting each episode just two to four minutes, dropping these high-yield bombs in a question-answer format, giving you coaching and telling you how the test is going to ask that question and how to approach it in real life if it's different from the test, which often it is, let's be honest. Anyway, so let's delve into today's awesome topic. So hemolytic uremic syndrome is this clinical syndrome with three things, basically, that define it. And if you're a med student, you're like salivating right now. This is like the podcast for med students because (laughs) this is a condition that was hammered in med school for some reason because it had all these interesting pathologies that came about. You know, you learned it in micro because of the bacterial connection, and you learned it in hematology block because they were talking about all the weird anemic things that can happen with it, right, in the platelets. So anyway, hemolytic uremic syndrome has three things. Acute kidney injury, microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, and thrombocytopenia. So Low hemoglobin, low platelets, elevated creatinine, basically. And it's from this infection with the Shiga toxin producing E. coli, also known as STEC or STEC. (laughs) It's the most common cause of hemolytic uremic syndrome in the pediatric population, accounting for about 90% of cases in children under the age of 5. Now, the most common strain of Shiga toxin producing E. coli is the E. coli 0157H7, which sounds like it came from a test lab. It just, let's be honest. I know the code. I know it's it's not the case. It's not from this test lab, as far as we know. <laughs> but my gosh, it is sounds like a test subject that escaped from some laboratory deep in the you know Colorado Rockies. And it came out of that lab, and now it's wreaking havoc. Anyway, <laughs> so this E. coli strain, transmission is mostly through undercooked food mostly beef, and less common sources, including person-to-person or direct animal contact. Children are more affected than adults, and the causes, diagnosis, and management are essentially the same for adults and children. So I'm going to focus on children because that's really the high-yield condition here, and if you ever did get a test question or ever encounter this, it is more likely to be in the pediatric setting. But just know that adults can get the same thing, and it's the same management. So there are other causes of hemolytic uremic syndrome. The most common by far, like we said, is the Shiga toxin producing E. coli. That's what we're going to focus on today. Just know that other causes exist. It's important for us to remember hemolytic uremic syndrome because it's often misdiagnosed. In fact, one study showed that children that had this condition of Shiga toxin producing E. coli, one in seven developed hemolytic uremic syndrome with a median of three days. And 30% of those who had hemolytic uremic syndrome were first sent home. So we can't do that. So who wants to go back to medical school? I don't. <laughs> anyway, we have to know this like simple thing about Shiga toxin. Shiga toxin is really fun to say, but it's also this crazy toxin from E. coli that causes widespread microangiopathic injury and a reactive prothrombotic state. So you get anemia with schistocytes seen on the blood smear, <laughs> Not cream cheese, Schmear, blood smear just kidding it's blood smear and thrombocytopenia so you get a mix of you know anemia schistocytes thrombocytopenia boom hemolytic uremic syndrome not many conditions cause that there are a couple others but they're really going to be seen in adults in general the other two that mimic hemolytic uremic syndrome would be thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura otherwise known as ttp The other one is, of course, DIC, disseminated intravascular coagulation, the big bad boy of microangiopathic hemolytic anemias. Again, that is also a different presentation. Both those two conditions I just mentioned, the patients are going to be in adults on the test, of course. They can't happen in kids. And they're going to be much sicker looking, let's be real. All right, clinical presentation here. So the classic prodromal illness of children with this HUS- I'm sick of saying hemolytic-uremic syndrome over and over again. So we're going to call it HUS. The classic prodromal illness of HUS is abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea with or without a fever, just like everything else, right? <laughs> just like every other kid that you probably saw on your pediatric shift that you're now regretting sending home. <laughs> you're like, oops, did I miss this? Anyway, the diarrhea is often non-bloody and it turns bloody after a few days the initial illness typically resolves in a week, however, the GI illness, and the complications of HUS arise several days, almost a week after the initial onset of symptoms. That's very important here. Now, patients presenting with pallor, you know decreased energy, oliguria, or even some peripheral edema in the setting of recent GI illness, that should be highly suspicious for HUS. So any child that comes in and it's like, "Hey, my kid's been sick with this," uh, and now look at them, lethargic they look, you know, volume depleted, automatically should get your antenna raised for HUS. Now, despite the thrombocytopenia that happens, there's rarely any evidence of active bleeding in these kids because they're healthy overall. Additionally, up to about 30% of patients may have some type of neurologic involvement. And that usually stems from, of course, the dehydration aspect of things, the electrolyte changes, the fluid shifts, like ultramental status, sometimes even seizures. Now, there are a lot of lookalikes here. We've already mentioned DIC and TTP, but really in children and in healthy adults, the most common lookalike are just going to be other infections, enteric infections like salmonella, campylobacter, yersinia, even some amoebas. (laughs) Anyway, if you're not in the United States, what's going to happen here is they're going to present very similar. However, what is going to be absent in these other infections? By far, the blood work, right? The blood work in HUS is going to show thrombocytopenia. And hemolytic anemia. That is not going to be present on any other of those other enteric infections, okay? So how do you diagnose this thing besides just symptoms? Well, unfortunately, it's just symptoms. (laughs) A good history. So you're going to have to take a good history when you come in and talk to these kids and the parents. Or, of course, again, if they're an adult having this problem, just talk to the adult. Now, you need to suspect this type of Shiga, you know, E. coli, HUS syndrome in kids with an acute onset of bloody diarrhea, abdominal pain, Or acute onset of diarrhea with known exposure to Shiga, you know, outbreak. The labs are straightforward here. CBC, electrolytes including creatinine, urinalysis, possibly a stool specimen if you can get one. And of course, this Shiga toxin test, which usually comes from the stool test. What do you find on the labs? Well, we've already hinted at this the entire episode. Microangiopathic hemolytic anemia. Hemoglobin's typically less than 9. The schmear is going to show up to 10% schistocytes. Buzzword, right? Thrombocytopenia. Platelets are typically below 140,000. Acute kidney injury. There's usually a variable presentation on labs. Usually the creatinine is elevated. Usually the BUN is elevated. Usually there's hematuria on the urinalysis as well from kidney injury. And then finally, you can do coagulation studies to distinguish this from DIC, right? You want to check a fibrinogen level. And if that's low, that's very concerning for developing DIC. Now, what's the treatment here? Antibiotics? Just kidding. <laughs> Don't ever do that. <laughs> Don't give antibiotics for this condition. What you learned in medical school for once in your life was actually not dogma. You should definitely not do antibiotics for this. And there's actually harm. We'll talk about it in a minute. Now, the patient tolerates it, you want to be aggressive with fluids. That is the only thing that's going to change this patient's outcome. There's going to be a lot of fluid shifts, pH changes from the profound diarrhea. So monitor the electrolytes, replete as needed. But you need to reduce the adverse outcomes by repleting fluids in these patients. That's why choice A was correct. Now, anemia is another common complication. So, of course, you're going to give a blood transfusion if the hemoglobin's less than 7, as the guidelines state. What about platelet transfusions? That was one of the choices, right? Choice D. Not going to be something you need to do here. Unless they're actively bleeding and their platelet counts are low, you will never get a test question on this. If they say that the patient's actively bleeding and the platelet count is less than 10,000, of course you're going to give a platelet transfusion. That's a no-brainer. But in general, like I had in this question here, The patient's platelets in this question were 90,000, and they were not bleeding. They do not need a platelet transfusion. Hopefully no one fell for that. All right, but really, why are we not giving antibiotics? So there's no role for antibiotics here. Studies have shown an increased incidence of HUS development in children with chica toxin E. coli when treated with antibiotics. There's been a meta-analysis of observational studies. They've had a low risk of bias in these studies, and they've also shown a positive association between antibiotic use and HUS development. In addition, there's this other prospective study that came out of 259 children less than 10 years old. They all had E. coli, O157H7, and found that HUS occurred in 36% of children who received antibiotics versus 12% of the children who did not. No studies, I repeat, no studies have ever found that antibiotics reduce the symptoms or complications associated with Shigatoxin E. coli. So don't do it. One, you'll flunk the boards if you do it. I'm not kidding you. You'll flunk your board, Sam. This is definitely one of those critical points they say not to do. Second thing is you'll you know miss this on the test too, and you'll harm your patient. So just stop it. Stop giving antibiotics for acute diarrheal illness in children in general, right? And don't do it for HUS. All right. So thankfully the prognosis is pretty favorable, this nasty condition. Often there's resolution of the manifestations you know, of the blood and the, you know, the low platelets and anemia within one to two weeks. All these patients are going to be admitted. I mean, you're going to admit every one of these. Why wouldn't you? So if <laughs> a child with hemolytic anemia... In uh, thrombocytopenia and, you know, they look pale and you're giving them IV fluids. That is not a dispo home. You know, let me check on them in six hours. They're definitely going to be admitted, especially on the wards So anyway, admit these patients. Now there is a 4% mortality rate too, now that I mentioned that. And now you're really thinking about your diarrheal patients you sent home last week, right? You're like, oh, which one was that again? I need to call them. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure it'll be fine. So just remember that HUS is a quick review here. It's marked by AKI microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, so schistocytes on the schmear, a lot of S words there, and thrombocytopenia. The mainstay of treatment is going to be IV fluids. You're not going to give antibiotics, but you are going to admit them. And that's really about it. Thanks for listening. We hope Dr. Hussein is not arrested by the FBI out in Area 51. We wish him the best of luck. Godspeed. I'm going to go order a juicy... American Hamburger after this episode. I hope you'll do the same. I know you all are thinking the same thing. Uh, if you are already one step ahead of me, that means you were ordering a juicy hamburger or making one and listening to this episode, and that is true dedication. Anyway, we'll see you next time on EM Bombs. Make sure to check out EM Rapid Bombs Podcast. You can find it in the link below this podcast or just go to our website, emboerbombs.com. I bid thee good and good day.